So thank you again for having me. Um, I appreciate it. It's fun. I love when I get to preach and teach and share what God's done in and through us. Um, I'm not going to get a chance to connect with every single one of you. So me and my wife thought it would be a good idea to um, think of a few questions that I get asked a lot when I'm out preaching and just in the communities. Okay, so I got I got a few questions that I'm going to answer for you. And hopefully if we don't get to connect, maybe it'll answer something for you. Okay, here we go. The first question I always get asked, people see that and they say, dude, why didn't you score? <laughs> and I have, I have a very good answer for that. I run 4-7, everybody else on the field runs like 4-4, four, 4-3. Four, four, so if you're not familiar with 40 times, those are times that is in a 40-yard dash. So I'm slow, they're fast. I'm lucky I got that far. It, the, the, actually, the returner for the Saints then is a close friend of mine. He went to Toledo. I went to Ball State. So we known each other through college. And I told him, if I get a chance, I'm going to run you over. That's what I'm going to do. And then he ran up and dove off to the right. <laughs> I was like, what, is he, what are you doing, dude? He must, he must not have wanted to feel the power of the punter, huh? <laughs> That's what I tease him with. But, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I couldn't get it done. Anyways, was I always a punter is another question that I get. Um, no, I wasn't always a punter. In high school, I was our quarterback, our linebacker, our punt returner, kick return. Um, and then I punted and kicked also. So played all over the field and got to be a real football player for a while and then then it happened that my right leg was a lot stronger than my right arm, so we just we just went with that. Um, another question I get asked often is, "What's your favorite NFL moment?" Um, so people think that I don't. Um, my favorite NFL moment was actually um, draft day in 2005. Um, punters rarely get drafted. Uh, it was me and one other guy that year that got drafted out of the 253 players that did. Um, so I was with my family and close friends and we're sitting at my house and you know we got to watch the got the call from the from the Rams and watch my name go across the ticker that was that was that was pretty special it was a good feeling um um the other question I get asked now what's your favorite team that you played for well that only makes sense if the context if you understand this I have played for eight teams in my eight years uh, I was with the Rams the Eagles the Colts then I went to Seattle, then New England for that one week. <laughs> so it was so strange. It was, they brought me in, I played great, and they cut me. It was, anyways, um, then from there we went to the New York Jets. That was the year that Brett Favre was there. That was a wild year. Um, then I went to the Tennessee Titans, and then for the last four years I finished in Cleveland. So my favorite team I played for, other than the fact that I was partial to whoever was paying me, um, is that I really like I really like Seattle in that you know Mount Rainier Pacific Ocean best seafood probably in the world outside of Erie, um, <laughs> and it was <laughs> that's just one of those places that that began to grow near and dear to my heart. So I, I, I love Seattle, um, but yeah, that was that's a little of me. Um, today, what I came to talk to us about is 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 we're going to talk about impact, how, why, what it looks like. Um, the impacts in your communities, um, in your in your classrooms, in your workplaces, um, anywhere you do life, uh, you have an opportunity to have an impact and, and a large one. Um, so I kind of I kind of want us to just kind of dig into that a little bit and learn more about it and what that's looked like in my life and give some examples and that kind of thing. So, um, how many of you have, you know, you work in an office place or 
you know, any, whatever situation you are in life and you've had a cool idea that might make the place better where you're at. Like, a lot of us have had that, I want this place to be better, you know, I've got a cool idea, and you want to impact that place. You want the place to be better because of your idea. That's, you know, a little bit selfish, but we've all been there. Um, I remember in 2008, I was playing for the Jets, and we had... <laughs> Uh, we were eight and three, and the Titans were, we were playing against were or ten and one. And there's playoff implications. It's a really, really big game. Um, you know, home field advantage, all that kind of stuff's going on. So I remember, like, I, I just wanted to have like an incredible game. It was nationally televised and all that fun stuff. And I remember praying. I was just kind of like, you know what, God, you love me, and you always taking care of me. And I'm gonna ask for. Ask for something big today, just because you know I want to have a 50-yard average in a 50-yard net, and I want—I just want to have one of the best games I've ever had. I wanted to carry the punter off the field, like all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> I was—I was—I was, I just wanted that kind of game. It was on a big stage, and I was ready for that. So we get into the game, and um, first quarter goes by, no punts. Okay, I can still have impact. Second quarter, no punts. Um, Halftime, come out and hit the ball good and warm ups, feel great. I'm like, all right, this is going to be my half. We're doing it. Um, third quarter, no punts. We <laughs> get in the fourth quarter, and 10 minutes to go in the game, and third and 10, we finally don't convert. Um, so I'm on, the, I'm on the field ready, finally ready to play. And uh, I get on the field, and I'm back there, catch the snap, and I try to hit this thing as hard as I can. And I completely, I don't whiff, but I hit the ball awful. It rolls off the side of my foot. Hits at 33 yards and rolls 17. Anybody good at math? There's my 50-yard punt and my 50-yard average, right? <laughs> so I go back in the locker room. You know, we win, and it's a good day. And I'm like, thank you, God, for the 50-yard average and the 50-yard net. You gave me exactly what I wanted. And I was just like, come on. It could have looked a little better, right? You know? But he was faithful, and he took care of me. So... It was cool. So we, we've all had those types of feelings that we just want to have impact. Like we want, we, want, we want the place to be a better place because we have been there, right? We, we all just feel that. We're all wired that way. We're going to talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a man named Stephen. Um, Stephen is in Acts chapter 6 and 7. We get to, we get to learn about him. He, uh, he was our first Christian martyr. Let's just kind of plug that in. That's, that's, he has an incredible impact um, he gets impacted and has impact and has a long-lasting impact. And I, and I believe we're all wired for that, and I believe we're all capable of that. Um, I, I, I want to just kind of... In 2010, I went through one of the most difficult times of my life. Um, I had, I've been playing football since I was a little guy, and I had always played, always been, you know, whatever, started and played pretty well kind of deal. Um, and I, I went through my first like real injury. Um, it was in training camp, a third day of training camp after a long, grueling off season, and we're ready to play. Finally, we're getting into it, and I catch a catch a snap, and I go to hit the ball, and my left Achilles tendon like blows all the way out, and it was awful. I was on the ground looking around. I was like, did something fall on me? What happened? And then my foot wasn't working, and I kind of freaked out. I was just, what is going on right now? Um, and it was just a, it was just a really really hard thing because. Three years previous, our locker room ministry was so good. We had like 15 guys, which is incredible for an NFL team. We had 15 guys who were coming to Bible study, you know, having prayer groups, and all the, we were going out in the community and we were serving, and it was awesome. We had this incredible impact, and I was on the ground in that moment, worried that, you know, 
I'm not going to be able to do that with these guys this year. It was really, really hard for me. And I remember I was I remember laying there and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, don't lose your witness, first of all. Like, hold strong to who you are. You've seen God has been so good to you, and your friends have seen it, your family has seen it. God has been so gracious to you. Now, even though this time is gonna be difficult, that doesn't mean he's not gracious. That doesn't mean he's not gonna teach you something through this. So even in our hard times, you can have impact. Even when it's great, you can have impact. So make sure that as, we, as you navigate life, in the tough times you stay faithful, in the good times you continue to stay faithful. Because your impact will be measured by those things at, at, at some point. I had a teammate come up to me, his name was Evan Moore, he's a good player. Um, he came up to me in the locker room after I had finally, or in the training room after I kind of calmed down and I was sitting up and had some medication in me and I was not feeling much. Um, he walked up to me and he was like, Reg, man, we've seen you, I've seen you do a lot, man, as far as ministry goes, like you do Bible studies and all that. And stuff's easy when things are going good. He's like, now we get to see how true and how authentic your faith is really. Because now you're going to go through something hard and it's going to suck. It's going to be really, really hard. And we're going to learn a lot about you. And he said that to me. We were, he was a great friend. We were close enough where we could speak candidly to each other. So I go, out, go throughout the year and do my best and struggle and kind of get through the year. And he comes up to me at the end of the year and he was like, man, watching you do that, watching you do that faithfully helped me grow in my faith. I, can, I, I understand that you can go through hard times and football is not the end of the world. Football, does not, football is not your life. I get that because I watched you go through a tough time and you didn't change. That blew me away. The fact that I was just living faithful. I was doing my best to walk with God, to be a good husband, to be a good father. And, and, and God was rewarding me by letting me know that people saw it and, I, and, and people that I was impacting people. We can all do that. By walking faithfully and close to Jesus. Walking with God and being patient with another. Loving each other. All these things. like You can do that. I remember that during, through, through that same time, my wife was training for an Ironman. Um, that's where you run, bike, and swim for a long time. I'm not wired for that. She's got that kind of motor. She's an incredible athlete. She had been training for nine months to get ready for this thing. And I had this injury happen um, three weeks before she was ready to perform. And she poured in nine months of serious, rigorous training. And now she had to not do it because she had to be a wife and she had to be mom because dad was on the shelf for a little bit. And I remember the impact that had on me is that I was blown away that my wife loves me that much, that she would, she would put herself aside so that the family would be better because dad's on the couch. And I remember my little girl, I have a little daughter, she was two, three at the time. She came up to me and she was like, Dad, I'm going to take care of you. I'll, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. And I was, I was just blown away that we're raising the kids that would think about other people rather than themselves. And me and my son have a cool thing where um, we talk I, every, t- I, every time I leave the house and it's just him and his mom and his sister. You know, I'm saying, buddy, you're going to take care of the girls, right? He said, yes, I'll take care of the girls. Good. So I'm trying to teach him now that he's going to be the head of a household and he's going to be responsible for people's lives. So he better get that in his head now. So that's kind of my little backdoor way of teaching him responsibility. So he, he goes, Dad, he comes up to me. He's like, Dad, I got it. I'm going to take care of the girls. I got you. I got Charlie. And I got mom. I'm going to take care of all of them. But the girls don't listen to me. <laughs> 
it was so funny. He was like, when we talk, you know, you listen to me. You know, you don't always do what I say, but you listen to me. He's like, the girls, the girls just don't listen. That was so funny. But, be, but that, was, that was just awesome because the impact that they had on me was really, really special. Because they wanted to take care of you. So do you have people in your life that you let in your life and you let them impact you? It's really, really important that you open your heart up to other people. That you let them impact you because that makes you a better person. Sometimes that's confirmation from God that says you're doing the right thing. Sometimes it's, con- sometimes it's just good to know that your boss heard your idea. Right? We've got to make sure we're, being, we're open with each other. And, and it's, re- it's really special husband and wives do that to each other. Like, let your wife impact you guys. Ladies, listen to your husband. Let him impact you. Even the young guys, you, you friends, keep tight and listen to each other. It goes a long, long way when you know that you, you, know that you doing something affects somebody else. It's really, really special. That's one of the, one of the best things we have as human beings is that we can, com- we can communicate those, those, those feelings and, and we can build this group sense that we're all humans and we all can learn from each other and grow from one each other. That's what impacts are all about. Now, when we, now this man we're going to talk about, Stephen, has, his impact is it, it's incredible. It's incredible. God, God honors his faithfulness and it's just cool to watch. So in your, in your Bible pews, um, it's page 1061. If you don't have, um, if you don't have your text, you can open there. We're going to get to know Stephen a little bit today. A little bit of background about what's going on with Stephen. Um, Stephen and the, Stephen is one of the, one of the, one of the Christian leaders at the time. So the church is exploding. Like in a major, major way, Jesus has just ascended and went to heaven. He had the day of Pentecost, and they, the disciples have now gone out and they're spreading the word, and people are coming to know Christ and coming to faith by the thousands. And obviously, when you got a ton of people doing and not a lot of workers, you know, stuff happens, right? So we get a little bit of a, a messy picture of what's going on in a communal sense um, in this time. So they are. They are in charge. Stephen is going to be in charge of feeding a certain group of people. There's, um, there's, there's a group of widows and children that aren't being fed because of their race. And so what the disciples do, they get, um, this, is, this is one verse 1 through 7, they get together, they form, um, they get together, they pray, they pick out some men who are going to assign this task because they got to keep preaching. That's what they're called to do. The, the, the words they use, we're not going to stop in um, wait tables when we should be devoting our time to preaching the word. So they pick, they've picked Stephen. Now Stephen is described as a man full of faith and full of the spirit and full of wisdom and full of power. That's what we learn about Stephen. So they pick seven people, but you see their names in the text, but... But God wants us to know how special Stephen is in that he's full of faith, he's full of power, he's full of grace, and he's full of wisdom. So Stephen is, 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 carries out this task, and there, there's an opposition that arises um, just, just from being a Christian. How many times does that happen to you? Just sometimes you're a Christian and you know, people don't like you. You know, I felt that in the locker room several times. I've been, I've been like little Bible boy, they call me. <laughs> Little Bible boy, several times. I don't care; it doesn't bother me. I'm going to heaven. See you guys there. I hope. <laughs> but yeah, like that. That sometimes, sometimes that happens, right? You get some opposition for 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 your stance um, for Christ, and Stephen gets that. 
So much so that Stephen gets arrested for it. And Stephen gets taken in front of uh, the synagogue of the freedmen. I don't know what tech, the text says, or, um, or it's called the Sanhedrin. Either way, this group is um, 72 of the big dogs, the smartest, brightest men in the religious field in the area at the time. These men have decision-making power over life, over death, over laws, over everything. So he gets arrested for, for serving people, for loving people, for taking care of people. They made up a story and said that he was he he never stopped speaking blasphemy against the church, and that you know they just make up a terrible story about him. So he gets he gets pulled in um, to this group, and they start and they start and they they challenge him, start berating him with questions, and it's very very difficult um, sometimes to be in the face of opposition when you know you're doing the right thing, right? Have we been there? You know you're doing the right thing. Sometimes you still get picked on. Sometimes, sometimes you still got to listen to your boss. And it's like, look, man, the decimal is where it's supposed to be. You made a mistake, but you can't do that, right? That's the kind of situation Steve is in, where he's just, he just kind of under the fire, and he's got to walk through it faithfully. All right? So Stephen. Stephen gives, in chapter 7, one of the most incredible speeches um, that I've read. 55 verses. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to, make, I'm not going to read 55 verses to you. But in, when you have some time, read what Stephen says. Okay, Stephen gives a pretty much a historical background of why he's doing what he's doing. From, from Moses all the way through Jesus and the whole lineage of our faith fathers, um, Joseph, you know, all the, all the cool Bible stories that we, that, we mo- that, we, that we probably know. And he says, look, man, I know where I'm from. I know my history. I know what's going on. I didn't miss Jesus. I get it. And this is why I'm doing this. See, what happens is the, the people in the Sanhedrin, the Council of the Freedmen, these 72 men, will not acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, as who he says he is. So anything that the disciples are doing, they are completely resisted against. Okay? So Stephen's, Stephen's rolling with Jesus and is under incredible fire for that. They, they've arrested him. They've, they're questioning him. And Stephen goes on and tells his story. And then in verse 55, I'm sorry, verse 51, he challenges him. He calls him stiff-necked. You see that in your Bible? It says stiff-necked, people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, meaning they miss Jesus. Meaning Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, is the Son of God, and you missed it. And he's frustrated. Because he's doing the right thing, walking with Jesus. And now the religious leaders who miss Jesus, who don't want to walk with him, are telling him how to live his life. And he's really frustrated, so he challenges him. Calls him stiff-necked. That's a bad idea. That's like going to your boss and telling him, calling him something you shouldn't call him. It's a really, really bad idea. So, anyways, he's standing for himself, and he does, and he does that. Something cool happens, though. Something very, very cool happens. In chapter 7, verse 55. Okay? Throw that up on the screen for me so everybody can see it. It says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's incredible. Have you ever looked into heaven and saw Jesus? I've never seen that. Like This is incredibly important. Like Jesus peels, or God, God peels back heaven so Stephen can see that God is honoring what he's doing. You catch that? That's incredible. 
Okay, so Stephen is now being now now about to be drugged out of the city and stoned for his belief system. Now look, we've all, we've been all, we've probably been under some fire every now and again for our faith, not like this. We've never been drugged out of a city and stoned. Stephen is under the fire right now, and it's incredibly painful, and he's going to get stoned for his beliefs. But something, this put this verse in the back of your head. I want to show us. I want to show us five more verses that kind of tie into this. So in this in this verse right here, Jesus in fifty six, Jesus is standing at the right hand or standing at the right hand of the throne. Right. Now watch these. Watch these verses. Hebrews eight one. Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the Father, of, of the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Where's Jesus right there? He sat down, right? He's seated. Okay. The next one. Mark six, Mark sixteen nineteen. After the Lord Jesus spoke to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of the God. Of God. He's seated again, right? The next one. I'm making a point here, so stay with me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, um, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sitting down again. Okay, the next one. And you have said so, Jesus replied, but to all of you, from now, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds from heaven. That's very, very important because Jesus just died and now he's in heaven and he deserves rest. (laughs) He deserves to be seated after what he went through on earth to make sure that we could talk to God again. So he was our atonement for our sin, right? That's what he went to the cross for is to make sure that we could be in a right relationship with God if we put our faith and our trust in him and what he did. He deserves a rest. Amen. Yes, he deserves to be seated at the right hand. No need to get up again. The work's been paid. Feet back. I did it. I did it, God. We're good. Right? But for some reason, when Stephen's in the middle of being stoned to death, in verse 55, it says, Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Whoa. Why? Why? Why would he? Why would he stand up when he when he deserves to be seated? He is now. He is a king. He is on his throne. No need to get up. There's something about us. There's something about your faithfulness. There's something about when you go through a trial for Jesus's name, he sees you. He honors it. It's almost as if Stephen's getting a standing ovation for being so faithful. The question is: Is your life reek of that? Are you that faithful? When you go through trials, do you, are you still praising God's name? Or are you cussing and mad about your circumstance? Why did this happen to me? Or do you say, you know what, God, I, this stinks right now, but I'm going to praise you. This stinks right now, but I'm going to make sure that the community I'm in still has, a, I can still have an impact on my, on my community. Just not because of me, because of you. Does your life earn a standing ovation from Jesus? That's something we all got to wrestle with. And I, pray, I, and, I, and I pray that it does. I pray that mine does. I pray that my kids do. My wife. I want us, I want us all to be so connected that Jesus is, that we're impacting the heart of God. How incredible is that? This is the only time, this is the only time in the Bible where he's uh, standing in, in, until, until we get to Revelation when he's on the horse and he's coming back and all that. This is the only time. 
That's an incredible picture of how much he loves you and how much he cares about you and how much he wants you to know that he's with you. How important your impact is. And let's watch where Stephen's impact goes. And Acts, in two verses later, in Acts 57, 58, it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their, co- their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay? Saul, most of us know, becomes Paul later. Okay? Saul becomes Paul after he meets Jesus. Saul is a part of this group in the synagogue, the Sanhedrin. He's one of the, he's one of the 72 of the big guys. Paul has the best background, the best educational background, and he's the man. You can't tell Paul anything educationally, all right? He's, he's one of the guys. So he's there when Stephen is going through this trial. He's there, I mean, so much so that they laid their feet, their coats at the feet of Saul while they're stoning him. So he's there for the whole thing, okay? Hang on to that. And we learn a little more about Saul in, in, in chapter 8, verse 3. It says that Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging, dragging off both men and women and putting them in prison. He was, if you were a Christian and Paul came across you, you were going to jail. And if he didn't come across you, he was searching you out and sending you to jail. That's what kind of power Paul had. So Paul, in the very next chapter, we're not going to, don't look there, but he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's just radically, radically changed. So Paul goes from, Saul goes from ravaging the church, putting people in prison, to being one of the best, being probably the best missionary um, that we've ever seen. Going Going from town to town, jail to jail, preaching and teaching the word of God. So Paul gets radically converted. And watch what happens. From where, where Paul gets converted in Stephen's death, right here, it says that, this is, these are Paul's words, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding against, guarding the clothes of the ones who were killing him. This, from the time where Stephen stoned until we get to Acts chapter 2, there's like 20 years, scholars say. 20 years later, Saul, who's now Paul, remembers the faithfulness of Stephen. You catch that? There's 20 years in between this time. A lot of us that are maybe a little older in the room, you can think 20 years ago and can't remember some people, but you can't remember those people who had an impact on your life. Your impact will go a long way. The more faithful you are and the tighter you walk with Jesus. This is 20 years. Paul, in, the, in this time, has been, uh, he's been in and out of jail. He's been beaten. Um, he's been through shipwrecks and he goes through all kinds of stuff. But there's something about Stephen that when he's preaching the gospel to another group of people 20 years later, he still remembers that faithfulness. Is your life going to read that way? Is my life going to read that way? Are they going to be talking about how you went into your workplace, told people about Christ, loved on people the right way, served people the right way, was the best father you could be, the best mother, the best brother, the best sister that you could be for God, are people going to talk about that? Or are they going to talk about a run you had that you got an NFL record? I really hope, I really hope that goes, I really hope that dies before the fact that I'm loving my wife right goes. That I'm the good father, I'm a good parent, all that kind of stuff. That, that football thing, that can go quick. 
I want people to recognize me and say, that dude is super faithful. <laughs> that dude for real loves Jesus. That dude for real get, get poured his life out for others. Do we want that? And I remember the first time I started to hear about God's love. I was not, I was not eight years old. Um, and I was sitting in a church like this and the pastor was talking about God and how much he loved you and what Jesus did for you on the cross and what that meant. And I remember my heart started just to just kind of churn. I got uncomfortable and I was like, oh, the pastor gave an altar call. I was like, you need to, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if today's your day kind of deal, if you're going to give your life to Jesus, you know, come forward. And I was sitting in my pew and I was like, I tapped my mom. I was like, mom, I think I'm supposed to go up there. And she was like, dude, go, go. <laughs> go ahead. Eight years of you without Jesus is enough. <laughs> Let's see what Jesus is going to do with your life. <laughs> so, I, so I go up there and give my life to God, and it, 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 it radically changed the way that I lived. But God's love is incredible, right? So good. I, I kind of want to paint a picture for you. This is a little different, little unique way of how I like to kind of explain this to people, is that if we go back to Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? He spoke with his words everything. Except one thing. He spoke the waters over here, the land over here, the sky, stars, number them, whole deal, right? Everything was just he spoke it audibly and it happened. That's how powerful our God is. But when it comes to you and me, when it comes to human beings, the Bible says that he formed us from the dust from the ground. Why? That doesn't make sense, right? He can speak. He can just say, man, boom, there's Adam. Boom, there's Eve. But he didn't. He took dust from the ground and breathed into it the breath of life. Almost to let us know that I've got a personal touch on your life. Almost to let us know that your life may look like dirt, <laughs> but all you need is the breath of God. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we need to fall in love with all over again if we haven't. That's how important we are to God. One of my favorite texts in the Bible says that his thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand in the sea. <laughs> what? I am always on his mind. You are always on God's mind. Did you know that? Do you know that you're that special? Do you know you're that important to him? Forget about what everybody else thinks about you. When you're alone in your bedroom, God is thinking about you. God is, God is infinitely caring about you. He cares that much. So much so that he gave us his son. Right? After sin had come into the world, after Adam and Eve had, had sinned and broken the trust and broken that relationship with God... It was like God was on one side of the ocean and we're on the other and there's not enough fuel in a boat to get us there. Like, we, like God's over there. We got no way of getting to him. We can't do it because of that sin that we were all born with. We can do nothing about it. But in the same way that God loved us and created us and has this nurturing personal touch on all of our lives, he decided that he would give us his son. So I will make a way for them to get back to me. And all they have to do is believe in the name of Jesus. That's it. Believe that he was crucified. He died. 
He was buried. He rose again on the third day and now sits at the right hand of God in heaven. That's the only way that your sin is atoned for, is through Jesus. Now a lot of now a lot of us have heard that. A lot of us have heard, yeah, I know, you know, he died for my sin. I can be back with Jesus, or I can be back with God through Jesus. Okay, cool, I get it. Go away, punter. I get it. But have you ever thought about what happened at the cross? Have you ever thought about that? Like what happened on the cross? For him to get to the cross, they beat this man mercilessly. He whipped him, punched him in the face, I mean beat him because he said who he was. They fashioned a, a, a crown of thorns because he was called the king of the Jews and they jammed it on his head. Blood's coming down his head. He's got thorns in his head. All the while God's saying, this is the payment I'll accept. If you will just believe this, we can have the right relationship. They stretched his hands out on the cross and drove with what we could equate as like railroad strikes through his hands. Beat his hands with nails through here. Stretched out his other hand and more another nail, another spike through his hands up on the cross. Battered, beaten, bloody for your sin. For my sin. Those hands that created and breathed life into, they drove nails into. Those same hands. They grabbed his feet, put his feet over here, stripped him, he's naked. Another railroad spike in his feet. Hung, up on, hung him on the cross for six hours while people mocked him. While people yelled at him, while people cussed him out, while people made fun of him. All the while God's in heaven saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much you mean to me. This is how far my love goes that I would put my son out there. And let my son go through this so that you could come to me. That's the kind of love that we're under. That's the kind of love that the father has for us. So forget football. It was fun. It was great. But I need to be more connected to what to Jesus. Now some of you are in here, that might be the first time you've heard that. Maybe in that in that kind of detail. And I know there's some people's hearts stirring in here. They should be. Because because God is in here. And maybe it's time for you to reconnect. Maybe you've, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and started, maybe just fell away. Maybe you're not living like you know how you're supposed to. Maybe you need to get rid of some outside relationships that are hindering your walk with God. Maybe you, maybe you need to clean some stuff up, get rid of the drugs and alcohol and those things. Maybe that stuff needs to happen today. So Nathan's going to come up here and he's just going to play over us. And I'm going to pray much like I did when I was eight. And I would ask that you would do your business with God today. These altars are open. So if today's your day, if, this is, if you're going to receive Christ for the first time today, and you believe that those nail scars' hands were for your sin, 
and you believe that that crown of thorns for your sin, that means something to you today, you got to give your life to him. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Heaven is hell is real. I know we're not preaching that anymore, really, but that's real. Heaven and hell is real, and that and and there's gonna be two places you go. You're gonna be with God in eternity, or you're gonna burn in hell for the rest of time. Those are just that's just that's just as real as it gets. And that's not over dramatic. That's not me trying to pressure you into something. That's just real. That's the reality of how much God loves you. He sent his son to give you that opportunity to get out of that and to live with him. So if today's your day, as I pray, come up here, please. If, you're re- if you want to rededicate your life, if you say, I'm turning from the sin that I've got caught up in, come up here and do your business with God. Do your business with God today. Do not wait. So I'm going to pray, and if that's you, please come. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that, that, that you've made a way for us to get back to you, and that's through your son, Jesus. We thank you so much that you died on the cross for us. And now that you, you hear my prayer now because of it. So God, I pray for the people in this room that are making that decision for the first time. I pray that you'd give them strength. I pray that you'd give them courage to get out of their seat. I pray that you'd give them boldness to stand for you because of what you're doing in their heart right now. So God, grab their hearts. Grip them, pull them closer to you. And Lord, for those who are coming to you, again, who've maybe lost their way, and who are coming back home today, Lord, I pray that they would have the same courage, the same boldness to come and to rededicate their lives. Father, I thank you for for moving right now. I thank you for the hearts that you're grabbing pulling back to yourself. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so patient with us. You're so kind and you're so merciful. We want to walk with you. We want to live knowing that you care about us. We want to live knowing that you're that that you're thinking about us, that you're that you care that much. So God, I pray that everyone does their business in this room. Later today, whatever it takes, God, grab hold of their hearts. I thank you for the time that we got to spend together today in your word and learning more about you. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you that you'll never stop. So we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
we'll see you guys another time. Thank you.